Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of Megaten Marathon. It's a game-by-game journey through the Persona and Shin Megami Tensei games. I am Paul Davis, and who am I here with? Joining you live from inside the Schwartzwelt, it's me, Brian. Hey, and I'm Evan Ogle, again. And hey, it's Chris, back again in about time, too. <laughs> Coming to you live. No, I was I was just yeah. quoting the DK rap. Yeah, I, I did that. I actually, you know, I, I had to do a DK rap post on Facebook at work last week. <laughs> you You had to? Well, I guess I didn't have to. I chose to, but... Always the for, right choice. For a second, I forgot you worked for a video game store, and that seemed really weird. And it was like, oh, oh, okay, wait. That makes... Okay. Wait, wait. I have one more semi-DK rap-related story, okay? So no one... this There's an anonymous person at one point in my life who at one point I worked with. Who knows what company? Anyway, so their favorite song was the Donkey Kong rap, right? And we this worked in an office like 12 building. Or... They were like 30-something. Okay. I, I, I can respect and, that. Um, you know. And uh, they, uh, their favorite song is the Donkey Kong rap. And one time he played it so loud in the office of like 12 people, like a really tiny office, that uh, he was then banned from ever playing the Donkey Kong rap <laughs> ever again in the office. Deep. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. So this is uh this is your uh, weekly Donkey Kong podcast. <laughs> Donkey Times. Donkey New Donk City. Um, yeah. <laughs> New Donk City. Oh, oh hey, hey, um, you know what? We might as well get this out of the way. So the switch was announced. Uh, we did, we all saw it. There's, there was an SMT trailer in there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And there was, there yeah. was a, there was a Mara in the background. They snuck in a Mara. <laughs> Fucking great job, Atlas. Oh, yeah. yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> so besides the fact, the excitement that they snuck a dick demon into a Nintendo press conference and nobody noticed, <laughs> um, there. There's also the excitement of, hey, there's a new uh, SMT game coming for the Switch. So uh, I feel like it's our duty to tell everyone to, uh, you know, temper your excitement. It's probably not SMT5, uh, which we're also seemingly getting teasers about right now. Um, I mean, I'm not so sure about that, Brian. SMT is pretty much a portable series now, and the Switch is going to be the de facto portable console from here on. So... (laughs) Serg made a very excellent point uh, when we were talking privately that, uh, you know, the last time something like this happened, it turned out to be uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. So I think it's accurate to temper expectations until we get a title. This is true, but we did, they did definitely headline all of the big SMT demons, so... I think this is going to be closer to a mainline SMT game yeah, than definitely. the yeah. Sessions was. Definitely. And it, it kind of looked like a digital devil saga, like that one big gold guide. Well, all, also like it's that. worth pointing out that like SMT4, the mainline game, and then its sequel, SMT4-2, they were both 3DS exclusives. So like Nintendo has been doing really good portable SMTs, or there have been really good portable SMTs on Nintendo platforms for years now. Oh, sure. Like, I oh, guess yeah. my big, the, the big thing I'm thinking of is just, 
waiting for Nintendo to actually say that this is intended as some sort of 3DS replacement, which they haven't yet. Um, that's what, what I'm waiting for. That's true. It, then I'll believe it it's SMT5. By default, like there's nothing else that could replace the 3DS. They're doing that stupid um, three pillars strategy again, where they're saying, well, we think that they can coexist side by side and not really taking sides in the battle at the I mean, moment. That's clearly not true. The Switch is going to be the thing. Yeah, I think I think that, you know, like with the DS, they they feel the need to say that for the yeah. time being. But They want to see the Switch succeed there's, first. There's not a lot of life in the 3DS anymore. Um or much longer, I don't think. I mean, I mean, I in my ideal fantasy world, all of this is true, and the the Switch represents the next generation of both the DS family and the Wii U family. That is what I want. That is why I pre-ordered a Switch. Whether or not that's actually the case remains to be seen. I think that's what they're hoping for. They're probably just hedging their bets on that. Yeah, yeah. I think they're. Yeah, I think they're also to a degree hedging their bets because. They can probably get another year or two sales out of the 3DS, but they they can't get anything else out of the Wii U. Like that's nah, Wii U's from dead. Us down. So if they can if they can sell off some 3DS stock uh, at the next you know Christmas 2017 and 2018 for 79 bucks or whatever, and um, you know just keep on you know you know releasing like at least a trickle of content for it. Yeah, I can see them like yeah. spreading. I mean, the new Pokemon, but I don't know. You know, I mean, it's like if you look at like 3ds right now, there's not another Vita coming, and the 3ds right now has like what, like six SMT games on yeah, it. It's pretty crazy. Point. So, you know, if Atlas is going to prefer developing for portable systems, which seems to be very much in its like business uh, model and in the way that it. Uh, you know, chooses to develop games. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think that Atlas can be like a really successful developer on a big AAA system. Yeah, I don't think that they have anywhere to go and be as successful as they are now. Um, that isn't Nintendo. You know, yeah, that's just not their model. And I'm not sure I'd really yeah. want them to do that anyway. But what they but they do do the big trip. The Persona is their big AAA title, which they what. The last Persona was in 2008, though, right? Am I remembering the that? next one is in two months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you can run a company on it once every the eight Persona years. sells really well. Like, it sells really well. I mean, I don't... Like, how often does Rockstar need to release a game, right? I don't know. <laughs> That's a pretty different scale, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the 3DS... Yeah, seriously, has had Shimagami Tensei games than any system since the PS2, right? It's been like yeah. the oh, Devil yeah. Survivor totally. series, Soul Hackers, both iterations of four. Are we, are we are we allowing yeah, are we counting remakes? Because that's a the, the count is different depending. I mean I mean with or without. It is a lot, yeah, either way, but um but if we were counting remakes, the PlayStation oh, three yeah. has a ton of SMT games. Um Well d- I mean, I don't know. I, I think uh, I disqualified dis- digital releases before I disqualified uh, before I disqualified ports. But anyway, uh, they I, I, obviously they're not going to go any console exclusive as a company wide. They seem to just like developing on everything. 
mm-hmm. kind of like platinum where they're just they're willing to. I do uh, I, I do keep on thinking back uh, about that interview that I read with uh, the developers of Tokyo Mirage Session where they were uh, bemoaning how uh, uh, processor and computer intensive it was to develop for the Wii U. Uh-huh. And, well, maybe if they didn't use so many dumb fucking animations... Well, yeah, but their developers were like, "Yeah, we had to have so we had to like leave our like windows open in the middle of winter because we had so many ca- uh, so many uh, computers crunching um, like animations because we're you know we're not like traditionally an HD uh, you know we're traditionally not HD developers and all this kind of stuff." So, you know, I, I think they do a lot with little. Yeah. So yeah, no, and they're gonna. Make- Atlas and Platinum are both examples of how to like work with budget very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm not sure Atlas would really improve by going to be like an HD studio. Like that's, I mean, HD nah. has been bad for video games. I, guys. I want specular. I want like, specular yeah, lighting on the veins of Mars head. <laughs> I would. I would love to see though a modern like Atlas SMT action oh, yeah. RPG. It would be cool. I don't disagree. So this has been your um, legally mandated Switch 15-minute <laughs> talk because we talk about that. Yeah, I, it, <laughs> SMT Switch chat. <laughs> I mean, I think we can sort of agree, though, that if you're an SMT fan, it kind of seems silly to pass oh, on the yeah. Switch. It's almost guaranteed to get, like, two or three SMT games. Yeah, I'm definitely excited <laughs> for it. Absolutely. Yeah, I am, too. Um, but, yeah, uh in addition to uh, the uh, uh, the Switch, uh, this episode we are talking about a game that came out for the Nintendo DS, which is uh, Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey. This is the uh, second part in our uh, probably going to be a four-part series. It's definitely going to be that? a four-part yeah. series. There's no way. We only got through two sections. <laughs> well, one and a half. <laughs> yes. We got two sections asterisk. We'll get to that later. We did. Just a we did. little teaser for everybody there. So in the previous episode and at the beginning of the game, uh, we found out that there was a giant storm that had uh, consumed all of Antarctica. And uh, the SMT World's version of the UN basically sent a bunch of uh, land rovers that can also fly into this giant storm called the Schwarzwelt. And surprise, surprise, what did they find inside there? Well, a bunch of demons. But also uh, demons that were in uh, areas that were very, very similar to parts of, uh, parts of the human world. And so they found uh, demons hanging out in a snowy area where they crash-landed. Apart from the other, uh, apart from the other ships, um, they found human-like areas uh, that look like uh, war zones and a red light district. And um, anything else that I'm missing? I did have a I few things so. I wanted to correct myself on last week. Uh, if everyone doesn't mind for a second. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, it's ahead. a new section. Chris's <laughs> corrections. Go for it. Uh, well, one was I said that um, 
you get uh, demon sources based on move learning, which I'm pretty sure I'm getting mixed up with a mechanic from Shin Megami Tensei 4. It's actually based on filling up their analysis meters in this uh, in Strange Journey. So it's whatever level the analysis meter, like when you level up and the analysis meter is full? Yeah, it, it's after you max it out and then you level them up. Then you get it. Okay. So I was that makes sense. getting it mixed up from another game. And also I didn't, I, th- I said something about the uh, conversation families. That's different from the races listed in the compendium. So I just wanted to clarify on that one in case anyone was confused on that. But there's still like pools of conversation. Yeah, yeah. There's an in, and you don't know what like the conversation pools are invisible. Like the player doesn't have any way of knowing what goes in what pool, and except to just talk to the thing. But uh, yeah, it's not tied to the races in the game at all. But I just wanted to bring oh. up those two things. Good correction. It's good to know. So where are we? Where are we going, man? We got a we got the Buoites Rosetta, right? Yeah, we got the uh, Buoites Rosetta in the uh, last game uh, when we left off. And now we're going to go shopping! <laughs> now we are. We are. Have you guys ever seen uh, the incredibly subtle and... Um, the incredibly subtle uh, John Carpenter <laughs> film, uh, They Live? Well... <laughs> um, no, could you... Uh, that's the one... Oh, shoot. What? Um, I thought you were uh, going to say Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Uh, you know which one that is, right, Brian? Yeah, it's a uh, you get a pair of glasses and you see uh, <laughs> you see aliens uh, that are controlling everybody with obey signs. Consume. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a pretty it's a subtle metaphor for uh, <laughs> <laughs> very very nuanced uh, take on uh, on uh, consumerism. Like you can't deny that the visualization of that movie is pretty striking. I mean, there's a reason why people remember oh, yeah. it. Oh, it's fantastic! Oh, it's I love that film, but uh, I don't think anybody would say that it's uh, particularly uh, subtle. Definitely not. Um, and with the Buedes uh, Rosetta, you uh, punch through the hole to the next sector, which is Sector Karina, and you will find in this sector a Mega Mall with lots of signs saying, uh, you know, things like "eat" and "consume" and "buy." And uh, actually, uh, there is a little bit of plot set up that goes on before uh, we go into the uh, Mega Mall and go shopping. Um, we find out that each sector in the Schwarzfeld is being uh, kind of like held as the domain of a demon who is using it as a staging ground for their invasion of Earth. And uh, your fellow uh, your fellow army bud, uh, Zelenin, who's the Russian woman. Uh, reveals that the more strain that humans are putting on the planet, uh, the more energy is flowing into the Schwarzfeld and the stronger the demons are becoming. So you're getting some kind of suggestions that the Schwarzfeld is a response to the way that humans are living on the planet and in ways that somehow all that human energy is powering all of the uh, hellish things that are happening inside the Schwartz belt and to your team. So, yeah, you enter into uh, the sector of the Karina and you will just find like pretty much it's just a giant like Walmart or strip mall. And you're looking for uh, a massive ship that's nearby that you can sense, but it isn't answering your messages. 
You're trying to find this ship because you think that it'll uh, help you find the Graviton Radio, which will uh, allow you to communicate with Earth. There is kind of this fun bit right as you step into the mall for the first time. It, when you're in, like, the little entry alcove, they actually have a, an Apsaris standing against the wall there where the doors are as, like, a greeter into the store, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Huh. Yeah. You know, this is, I think, there starts to be a little more, like, tricks to how the game designs the actual visual components of the levels here. Because, like, in here you can find, like, these meat hooks where you can see through them to the other oh, side yeah. of the map. It's but, like, weird. conveyor belts with the cow carcasses. Yeah. Yes, there we go. Better mm-hmm. way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I think we were talking last episode about how the area that looks that it's supposed to look like a red light district doesn't look really like anything. It just kind of looks like weird purplish hellscape. I'm down with Brian's <laughs> um, uh, fuck palace. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but in this uh, this area definitely looks like a strip mall or uh, like a uh, giant mall. Um, yeah, there's no questioning where you are this time. Yeah, yeah. So as you're bopping around in here, uh, you uh, start talking to uh, some demons and some humans. You know, they're finding all uh, the humans are finding all these familiar products, but everything's all messed up. The cereal boxes are full of mud. Um, There's just kind of like a kind of like disgusting profusion of everything. Um, And meanwhile, the demons that you talk to are complaining about a stink and it's the stink of angels. Is this the first time that uh, Mastima, Mastima? No, no, he helped you. Uh, he helped you get out with Zelenin when she was captured in Sector B. Right, right. Zelenin is um, pretty much being set up to be the law here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. the, she, and... You can't tell by how uh, like mystified and transmogrified she is by his glorious divine presence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And his weird, sexy, uh, sexy uh, mask. Uh, not to mention how much she hates everything about demons. Uh, even adorable demons like uh, Bugaboo, who um, I just want to point out, when you get reintroduced to Bugaboo in, uh, at the beginning of this sector, uh, he is in a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So he wasn't um, smart enough to learn to go in the corner? That's sad. <laughs> I, I just love the idea of Yemenez, like, he's like, yeah, not only am I going to, or Jimenez, not only am I going to take him in and love him, it's like, I'm also going to keep him as a pet, which means de- dealing with the fact that demons do – I guess demons do poop. Well, I was thinking they, about they that. they eat. They specifically said that Bugaboo is like half human, half demon. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. Huh. Um, so, yeah, you see uh, – you run into uh, Mastema, and he remembers you as the uh, character that defeated Mitra. And he says you're doing good works, human. And he asks you if you recognize them as being different from the demons. Uh, you know, depending on which alignment you're going for, you can respond in different ways. Uh, they're, they're pretty clearly defined um, by uh, alignment. He tells you that the demon world, the spirit world, uh, mirrors that of the human world. And he says something in the human world must have caused the invasion. Something dating back to the corruption of Adam. So he's taking it all the way back to original sin. Uh, surprise, surprise. As you would if you were an um, angel, I guess. <laughs> he says that uh, God will not allow the demons to destroy the human world, but the power to actually stop them must come from the humans. And so 
you uh, start uh, looking for uh, trying to figure out where to go from here. Yes. Yeah, so the uh, ship that you had originally detected, uh, your crew thinks that's the gigantic, but it's actually the Elv, which is um, Zelnan's original ship or Zelnan's home ship. Uh, so starting down on B one, uh, you find a dark room. Another another mainstay of these sorts of games. Uh, we mentioned early on in the last episode that this game really hues toward Etrian Odyssey in terms of dungeon design, and it really shows. Like, there there have been dark rooms in SMT games before, but the degree to which it relies on, like, traps and false ends and, like, just in general tricky dungeons rather than just big dungeons is very Etrian Odyssey. So, um... Yeah, like, the other SMT games we've played, it's been like, you get one or two dungeons that heavily rely on traps. But this guy is all about making sure you understand these maps inside and out, what these traps do, where mm-hmm. they lead. Yeah, in the other games, the dungeons seemed more like if there was a trap or like a weird thing to them, all it served was to make you stay in the dungeon longer. Or is this yep. like the, the dungeon, even when they're frustrating, the dungeons seem interesting. Oh my god, have you guys seen that meme of in the recent Scooby-Doo reboot, they make trap, uh, they make Fred like a trap fetishist? Like, he just is constantly <laughs> reading trap magazines and loves traps. I did not know it's, that. Okay, so, so wait, hold up. Let's, let's be perfectly clear here. In the show, traps as in, like, ropes and, like, people, uh, you know, being trapped. Yes. And were they aware of this of the double entendre? I mean, I... Or are, are they being, you know, just... I, I mean, I have to be... I have to imagine that they were aware of the double entendre and just were ignoring it because that joke is hard to make otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, I, I uh, did want to bring up the... In Etrian Odyssey, dark rooms are not this big of a deal because you could just draw on the map. Right. Like, when you run into a dark room in Etrian Odyssey, like, it's only a problem for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, one thing I was going to say, um, where this game seems to be a little easier as far as, like, the uh, m- the uh, map and dungeon density at first than uh, some of the Etrian, Etrian Odyssey games that I've played. Uh, you find that not having all of those, like, map marking up tools that come with the Etrian Odyssey games actually really kind of bites you in the ass uh, in a few ways in both this dungeon and the next dungeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I hated this darkroom section, guys. <laughs> this particular one. I tra- like I hadn't... Guys, I did not consult a single map or guide until this moment in the game. Wow. I yeah, and once... once yeah, this one this one bothered me. I could not find the exits out of these dark rooms. Wait a minute. So you know how, how, you... You know how I've been doing the last two dungeons is pretty much lying on my couch with my leg up on a pillow and the and an iPad with the map. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. That's where <laughs> like, I'm at now. On my lap uh, while I go through the game on my on my 3ds. <laughs> so if this one bugged you, I think okay. There's a, a there's a floor in sector D that is like a real problem. <laughs> so so we're gonna get to sector that is a D. Real fuck palace. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to sector D. We'll talk about that. There's a whole thing there. Yeah. So in this particular little tiny dark room. Um... You meet up with Jimenez, who's saying, like, he thinks it should be somewhere nearby, but he can't see anything at all this dark. Uh, so after some bumping around and dead ends, uh, you find your way into, well, 
a room with the elf, but it's a little bit different. Uh, it is merged with a gigantic pig lizard king creature. Uh, this just before it was only just a giant pig king, not a giant <laughs> pig lizard yeah. king, right? Yeah. He's just a, a little bit different. It was just He's a pig, a pig lizard yeah. centaur. <laughs> we'll get into his design a little bit later because we don't really get a good look at him uh, for a while, but this is the uh, Swine King Horkos, the uh, yeah, guardian when of this sector. When you first meet him, he's like ethereal, purplish colored. Yeah. yeah. Not quite clear what it is. Yeah, it's kind of like in Ghostbusters where, like, you know, like, you can see, like, one of the ghosts or the ectoplasm is, like, consuming something and you can see the stuff inside. This is sort of along that lines in the uh, shape of a giant pig with a crown. Uh, but yeah, Horkos has a weird glow to him because he is merged with the uh, plasma armor of the elves. Uh, he is eating it, feeding on its energy, and continuing to eat everything and anything around him. Uh, he has a great line where he just sort of shouts out, Buono, 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 suck in everything. I never get full. Buono. <laughs> okay, so I have a question. Does anyone know where buono is from? Because I know it's like it sounds like bueno, which is a Spanish word, so I'm assuming it's Latin, right? I okay, I cannot Italian. read this without thinking of that comic of the creepy fat guy saying bueno. You guys know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, from uh, from Garth Ennis's Hitman. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. I, his, his name is a uh, oh god, uh, mucho excelente or something like that. <laughs> no, bueno excelente. That's it. So, uh, buono is Italian, and it is the adjective form of bene, uh, both of which mean good. Oh, it's Italian. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, so he is he is very pleased with all the food that he is eating. He never gets full, and there's actually demons all around this dungeon that talk about how, like, the entire... So this place looks like it's for humans. It has cereal boxes full of mud and stuff, but it's actually all about feeding Horkos everything and anything around him. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you try to uh, you tr uh, Jimenez tries to attack him. Uh, nothing happens. Bugaboo gets a little bit too close, and uh, Horkos gobbles him right up. So after some tears, you retreat back because there's nothing you can do against him. But uh, fortunately, your old buddy uh, Mastema is waiting for you back on the main floor. He tells you that the Swine King becomes more powerful by the minute, and if he becomes powerful enough, he could threaten the Lord's world. Uh, which is interesting because at no point does he say threaten all of humanity, even though Horkos talks pretty extensively about wanting to eat every human on the planet. Uh, but he is concerned with losing the Lord's world to the demon. And the problem is that he is merged with the Elve, making him both an evil spirit, which Mastema can fight, and a man-made machine, which Mastema cannot. Uh, because church magic doesn't work on tanks. What a dumb rule. <laughs> like... <laughs> Everything is made of atoms, God. It, Surely you know what an atom is. Well, it's, I mean, if, kind of if God could fight human technology, he would have solved this problem before now. <laughs> it's kind of consistent with the whole reason why, like, because Mastema says earlier on that, yeah, he has a ton of power, but he can't directly intervene because man needs to solve the problem for themselves. And there seems to be kind of a weird, like, angels can't directly fight against free will thing going on in a lot of these games. This is pretty consistent, because uh, uh, God used, uh, he, he made America start a nuclear war, and Shimagami did say one, rather than do it in his own damn self. I guess my interpretation of free will had always been a little different in the series. I sort of assumed that law was not about free will. I thought chaos was about free will. I, I don't think law is about free will, but I think that, at least in this game and some of the other ones, the forces of law cannot directly like override free will. 
They can't override free will because that's the rule. Okay. They have yeah. to respect the rule, even though they want everyone to give up following that to be better people or whatever. Yeah, because when... Okay, that's interesting. Because when Mastin was talking earlier about how, like, the entire problem that caused the Schwarzwald to pop up started back with the fall of Adam, like, that's a pretty direct reference to humans getting free will. Mm-hmm. The corruption of Fair Adam. Fair enough. Uh, so yeah, his uh, magic won't work on the tank, so he wants to try an experiment. Uh, that is the phrase he uses. He wants to turn two demons into a crystal using his magic to create a weapon that will destroy Horkos, which is an interesting jump of logic. But um, he wants two specific demons, a Wilder and a Magami. And uh, fortunately, if you don't have either of those demons in your compendium, uh, some folks back at your ship will give you passwords for them. Uh, but huh. if you've been meeting people and fusing, there's a good chance you'll have at least one of these two by now. That's kind of nifty okay. that they'll give you passwords for them, because it kind of encourages you to use that system, which you probably haven't really relied on up till this point. Yeah, that is really neat mechanically. But honestly, like I, I read in the guide that that those existed, and they could not find the passwords, like out in the wild. Huh? I just had to look them up. I don't remember where you get them, honestly, because I just went to my compendium and brought them up. If I recall, I think you just have to talk to everybody on your ship, and then like two of them have passwords. I don't know if there's oh, any like, dang it. logic to it. But, uh, um, I had stopped checking those guys because they weren't telling me anything interesting. <laughs> yeah, same. That's the problem. That's the problem with every JRPG that expects you to talk to everybody all the time. Okay. I don't get enough interesting information to warrant that. Rule yep. of thumb, just hit them when you get to a new sector. That's pretty much all you need to do. Fair enough. Um, there's something else I wanted... Oh, so look, Mestama cannot directly intervene with a man-made machine, but what, he knows enough about machinery to figure out the forma that the guy in the lab needs to create you a machine to destroy the other machine. Yeah, I, I get the sense that Mastaba <laughs> definitely comes off as the most sinister character in this game, at least so far. Like, he clearly knows a lot about what's going on, but he, do, he doesn't tell you very much, and he only gives you as much as you need to accomplish whatever goal he has for you at the time. And he's creepy. He looks like he's hiding something. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's constantly giving you the bedroom eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you just know he talks like, hello, my children. Hmm. <laughs> I see you well. He is probably my favorite representative of order in any of these games. Like, I, he just fits that role so well. Yeah, because, I he's, mean... He's very good. Yeah. He is genuinely helpful. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when you have the demons, if you go back to uh, Mastema, uh, you hand them over. Uh, Zelenin's here, and as usual, Mastema perks up any time that she comes by, uh, seeing obvious uh, potential in her. And, uh, yeah, once he starts making that crystal all Sodom and Gomorrah style, he tells you that sons of man may not see this fire. And he basically makes you close your eyes while he turns around and creates the Shibboleth, a math, ma- a math, <laughs> a mass created out of two demons. Uh, and this is the tool that you can use to take on a Horkos. And interestingly, a shibboleth is an old Hebrew phrase. Um, it, it was a term they would use in order to identify people that were not also Hebrew, uh, which ironically, as soon as he introduced the term shibboleth, uh, Zelenin goes, shibboleth, huh, that's an interesting term. I've never heard of it. And Mastabit just goes, oh, you pronounce that well, which I thought was great. Uh, another little tidbit I threw in here was that in, in World War II, uh, Lollapalooza was used as a shibboleth to uh, root out Japanese spies in the Philippines. 
because the oh. Japanese had a very hard time saying the word Lollapalooza naturally, and unless you're from America in you know the forties, you wouldn't have known what that was. Wait, what? What does Lollapalooza mean if not a rock and roll festival? I don't know. No, it's it means like just a crazy grand old time. It, I think. It's because the distinction between L and R is does not existent in a lot of East Asian languages. So yeah, <laughs> it would uh, be yes. impossible to pronounce if you hadn't grown up with it. Pretty much, it's one of those things. If you look into linguistics, where the the um, part of the tongue that you use for L and R are, are way more similar than a lot of people think, and in uh, Japanese, they're uh, what we translate as re ra ro is actually like halfway between an R and an L. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we, yeah, that, that was exactly how my Japanese teacher told me to pronounce it back in college. Was that when you're when you're us, when you're using those uh, syllables, you want to basically put it halfway between an English R and an L. Yep. <laughs> Interesting language. Yep. So with your linguistic. Uh, tongue twister in hand, you go back to the ship, you make the Horkos bu- Buster out of the shibboleth, and uh, you get to start chasing down Horkos, which is something you will do for a very long time. Um, just to kind of skip through some of this, because it is literally just backtracking and going from place to place. Um, yeah, I forgot how long <laughs> this was. How boring would it be if we just described the map <laughs> movements every time? <laughs> but yeah, you just you, you find there's another place, he's not there. You find there's another place, he's not there. You just keep shooting him with the stupid gun until he finally uh, looks like he's losing energy. We can start doing the descriptions of uh, that are uh, like in the uh, fact <laughs> that are for the dark rooms that are like go two west, go three south, then three east. Well, I think when you, you get down to the last one, he's like in the next room over from a room that you've already been to. Yeah, and like it'll give you a message about how you hear noises nearby, and that's supposed to clue you in to check for hidden walls. <laughs> yeah, so so there are two interesting things that happen while you're chasing him around. Um, after you, so every time you shoot him, he gets a little bit weaker, and he freaks out, and he he screams like one of my favorite lines in the game, which is instead of saying like "bo no bo no bo no," he says "bo no," <laughs> which I love. <don't> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, after after you blast him, uh, he runs upstairs, and then uh, Jimenez confronts him, or Jimenez confronts him, and um, there's a little argument between him and Mastema. Mastema wants you to shoot him and fill the land with the Holy Spirit, uh, and then he. In kind of a dick move, he tricks Jimenez into fighting Horkos by himself with a gun and no backup, uh, which obviously doesn't work out super well. Uh, but um, you get a couple of uh, rare materials off of him, uh, which open up uh, your ability to open new doors and find hidden doors and you know, generally explore more of the level. And, I, had another, uh, I had another question for everybody. Yeah. Uh, Every time you get into the situation where you get into the room with Horkos, it, uh, it, the game asks you, do you want to shoot him? Yes or no. Did anyone try using no a lot? <laughs> no? What happens? I, I did it like two, three times. I, I think on like the third or fourth iteration of this. And uh, just when you say no, they're like, but you got to shoot him. Like, <laughs> no. Uh, but you I kind of figured. Out must. No. Yeah. And like that's I kind of figured it something like that. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, eventually, once you track um, Horkos down in the mall, uh, you finally manage to shoot him and separate him from the wreck. Uh, the elf is now just a flaming mass, uh, just burning away. And uh, inside, uh, Yimine- you and 
So once he's gone, like Corcos is weakened, he's scared, he's all bonoed out, and he's just running away. So uh, you and Jimenez head into the ship. You find the graviton radio, but more importantly, uh, Jimenez, uh, Jimenez finds uh, Bugaboo's demon source, uh, which means he can uh, bring his best buddy back to life, even if it means he has to teach him to talk all over again. When you return with the radio, a cutscene rush begins. Uh, the radio can only be used for ten minutes per call every few days. Ooh, and you get contact with the outside world. The joint project are astounded that you're alive, assuming you had died. And the joint project, like, they're just just a bunch of government heads. It's like the UN, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the, whatever they sent you to investigate, they're the people behind it. They're still skeptical when you confirm the drone reports on the battlefield, red light district, and the Costco sectors at being actual locations. They thought they were some weird, messed up photos. Um... And then, uh, as soon as you mention demons, they, uh, you know, that, that, that's not as big of a deal. They, they're like, you know, I guess they kind of figured. They're like, oh, demons? That was last week's news. We know about demons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, they say, like, at this point, the demons and the Schwarzwald have, they've already left the Schwarzwald, so the invasion in the first sector has already happened. And there are demons in South Africa, in South America, in Australia, basically, like, from the bottom up, starting to take over the world. Yeah, so there's this whole massive chain of events that you had no idea was going on. But, you know, it was inferred that these were these things were happening. So uh, a crew member asked the council, the mission has gone to hell, can we come home? And the council basically tells you, you guys are the best people, and also you have the best technology. You are our only hope in actually figuring out what the fuck to do. So the new official mission is... Figure this out. <laughs> we are now we are now well beyond escape the Schwartzvelt. There's no escaping the Schwartzvelt. Um, Arthur sends his observational logs across the radio to the Joint Project. They fire gravitational pulse to allow you to try and find a straight path home to those coordinates. Um, the strike team is given a short burst of leave after such success, and that's when you find yourself alone in the ship's hall. And check this out, guys. You run into a pale, mysterious blonde woman. All right? All right? Okay, guys, you might not figure this out. You may not have figured this out. But when I say the name out loud, it's going to blow your minds. Louisa Fur. Oh, my fucking God. I had actually not picked that up. I'm being totally honest here. (laughs) I, I am notoriously bad at pun names. I don't blame you. I just every time it happens, I'm like, I can't believe you went with this. <laughs> to be fair, Again. I you know I I've got to admit, I think it was uh, SMT one that I didn't get the uh, Lucifer uh, pun. So. <laughs> that, that one made me so angry that I have been like on watch ever since Louis Cipher. It's like Louis fuck Cipher. off. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it's no Ambassador Thor, man. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> See, I, I like Ambassador Thorman because it's not trying to be clever. <laughs> and it's like you can believe that the guy's name was Thorman. I, I, I could believe that exists as a name. I, I could believe a Japanese game developer with a shoestring translation budget would think that is a name that it, an American would have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. She uh, tells you what a grand ship you have and, uh, you know, mentions some biblical references and... Uh, 
more or less ask you if you'll be on the law or the chaos side. Now that's actually a choice, right? Like you get a dialogue option. I don't. Or I don't think. So. I think. I or think is it just? No, I don't think. So. Okay, so it's just a tease. You're basically you know honestly as soon as you see this cutscene that you're getting the chaos version of Mastima. Yeah. And uh, before she can say any more, she notices other people arriving and disappears. At this point, an anomalous spike registers on the ship's sensors. It's Horkos screaming for blood. So time to go give him. If you if this is your first Shin Megami Tensei game, as it was for me, this is actually kind of helpful because it frames oh, yeah. what the con going to be about. Which <laughs> yeah, has like, been kind of ambiguous up till this point. When I saw yeah, this- it's one of those things. Uh, sorry, where every where everybody's. Every comic is somebody's first comic. They kind of have to spell out the trappings sometimes. Like, it's a well enough done uh, thing, you know? I'm not going to lie. Yeah, when I hit this section my first time through back in, like, 2010 or 11 or whenever this came out, like, yeah, this is my first SMT game, and I was I was blown away that a game was, like, dealing directly with, like, God and the Devil. It's like, oh, man, that's so cool. And mm, I thought, like, oh, Mastama's kind of creepy, but, like, he's an angel, and these are demons, and the demons are bad, so, like... The angel must be good, even though he's kind of a creep. But like, then as soon as I saw, <laughs> as soon as I saw her show up, I was like, "Okay, what are you telling me, game? Are you te- are you telling me that God isn't the good guy?" <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely can appreciate this. <laughs> Go get Horkos. Um, you uh, so is this when you? Sh- where's the? Is it? I'm oh, confused. Yeah, sorry, sorry a, a bit got cut out. Uh, so, so at this point, Horko's um, you you sense something approaching. Uh, nobody knows exactly what it is, and then all of a sudden, like you realize, oh, this is Horko's like charging at like eighty miles an hour toward your ship, shouting how like you stole my lunch, so I'm going to steal your lives. I'm going to eat your ship uh-huh. and then rampage onto the human world and eat every single human on the planet. And then, and then he's too weak to eat the ship, right? Yeah, because he basically runs into your plasma armor and gets fried. Ah, yes, yes. So he flees from that, and from that you get a rare form, a swine hoof. Um, so you use that swine hoof to build the phase shifter. So if you had explored Karina earlier, if you had went up some stairs that are pretty close to the entrance, you would have noticed them. Um, there's a, an area where somebody basically tells you, hey, there's technology here, we don't understand it, oh well, and then you leave. Um, this is where you use the phase shifter. So the phase shifter is just basically another key. Uh, it doesn't really work a ton different from like uh, just getting another gate key. But you, so imagine a map. Now imagine a square of that map uh, or a rectangle of it. Now imagine in say we're in the normal state of the game. There is nothing in that rectangle. Activate the phase shifter. And that entire rectangle, not the entire map, but just a certain rectangular section, will be trans will be transfigured into uh, phase A or B or whatever. And in that area, there will be a new layout completely with a different visual design. Um, and you can it, it acts sort of like a switch because you can switch it back to being just normal phase rather than phase A. Mm-hmm. So, and so if I- uh, if it's if you don't think that this game is at some point going to stack entire floors on top of each other with this guy, then you still trust Shin Megami Tensei too much. <laughs> I, this is one of my favorite mechanics in this game. Like, I, I realize when, like when you break it down, it doesn't seem that revolutionary. But like, just thinking in terms of how this fits in with like the plot, the story of the game, like 
you get an item that basically just changes reality and creates a pocket dimension that's just overlaid on top of the real dimension. I just I love that. The entire idea it's, that it, there's like this this sanctum of demons that's like kind of harkening back to the whole like digital thing because the only reason you can see these demons is because your demonica is basically displaying a HUD that shows them to you. Like they're all invisible. And the fact that these demons have this like cyber world that they slip into and move around in like it's fucking Shadowrun or something. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's the best exploration tool the game has given you such so far. It, it actually adds an extra element of consideration to how the map is laid out, unlike the other exploration, uh, you know, add-ons so far. Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's sort of like a good version of a switch puzzle where instead of like having to press a button to change which doors are open and closed, it's just like you go to an area and it changes and how the entire world is laid out around you. Hey, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. And it seems to be laid out pretty intuitively in a in in a lot of ways, like at least in these uh first few levels that it's used on. You know, if you look down at the map and there's two sections that aren't connecting then you have a pretty good, um, pretty good uh, suggestion that using the phase shifter is going to get you between those two uh, rectangular areas, and um, so yeah, it seems to like really follow internal logic in a way that's actually pretty generous for an SMT game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing about it that really bugs me is you can't freely swap on your map between the two different phases to see. To, like, see them if you have them both mapped out, you have to oh, actually yeah. go there mm-hmm. and swap it. Which is a little annoying, but it's not a super big deal. Alright, so basically you got, a, you got a bunch of mazes that you got to get through. Phase shifting, gate searching. Uh, nothing a ton interesting, basically, until you actually get to Horkos proper. Um, and then you're fighting Horkos. Uh, you know, I don't feel like my fight with this guy was super uh noteworthy no to be honest it, it was real fast for me uh th- there there's a mechanic where horko summons these little pig demons uh and they'll hang around for a few turns then he'll eat them to recover health if you if you inflict a status ailment on those little demons and then horko's eats it he inherits that status ailment so i just cast mute on the little oh, pig demon waited a couple of turns without and made sure not to kill the pig demon by accident. And then Horkos ate him and the game with the, ma- the match was basically over at that point. Hmm. The um, spells that he uses to summon and then eat those uh, little pig demons are really, really funny though. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> to uh, summon them, uh, he uses the spell grocery run <laughs> and, uh, to eat the uh, pig demons. Uh, he uses the spell binge eating. Yeah, it's pretty great. See, if, yeah, this, if, if this was a real gluttony pig, it wouldn't be grocery run. It would be uh, delivery. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, had a cherub, and I just cast Medjadola on and killed him like, <laughs> two hits. So. And, yeah, you beat him. You get the Rosetta for uh, Karina, and um, his stomach acid turns into Pharma. Hooray. <laughs> How are you carrying that around? Uh, well, I mean, if it's Forma, that implies that it's sort of solid, right? I yeah. guess it crystallizes. That, yeah, Formas are crystals. Yeah, there you go. Like, I mean, I guess, like, once, like, he is no longer is extant, it loses some of its demonic ability or something. Oh, that, that reminds me. I forgot one of my favorite things about the teleport, or the, uh, the phase shift ability. Like, he is able to phase shift and, like, just slip into these dimensions and disappear. The thing that lets you do that is his 
is his foot. That's so awesome. Like, in order to phase shift, you take a piece of him, turn it into technology, insert it into your suit, and now you can do it too. Sorry, I, no, that's I just pretty great. That. That's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, he can world walk, so you just need his foot, then you can do it too. It kind of reminds me of, like, in a spy movie when, like, somebody would cut off somebody's hand in order to use it for, like, a hand scanner or something like that. Just, like, the, the weird <laughs> mystical version of that. That's a good point. <laughs> carve out a little section here for side quest chris you take it from here you're the one with the most experience with these well yeah we got a big list here uh i'll try to just hit the highlights okay first off there's one fairly funny one that you get from talking to dent where uh he's talking about how basically everyone in the ship is terrified because there's a demon in the toilets and they want you to solve it because no one else wants to go in there and do it so (laughs) You go, you go to the toilet, and you run into the toilet god. Um, it looks like the Bigfoot demon, uh, Enmar, I think it's called. I forget what it's called. Um, but it, it looks like the giant foot demon. I think the joke here is supposed to be that's the demon that most looks like a big turd. <laughs> so there, and then you fight it. Well, yeah, you fight it, and it's like, okay, please respect the toilets, and I'll leave. And then like that's the end of that one. It's it's pretty pretty comical for the relatively serious situation you're in. So so I looked this guy up and he is actually based on uh I, I didn't know this going into it, but he's actually based on a, a Japanese spirit that inhabits like it's basically the guardian of the latrines, kinda like what he says. Really? Oh like uh okay. like in Legend of Zelda with the hand the poop ghost? Yeah, kinda. Oh well, fair enough. Which which kind of makes sense, like given how much can go wrong if you don't proper if you don't practice proper like latrine pit sanitation, it makes sense that they would have like a spirit that would be all up about that. Yeah, I know that's a that's a thing you always see in like compilations of Japanese like modern Japanese ghost stories. Is there's always like toilet ghosts that'll like kill you when you're going to the bathroom. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, no, we've also got uh, th- this already happened when you're going through Sector Karina. You'll run into a Jack Frost who gives you this really melodramatic story about uh, demons killing his family, and now he's out for revenge. Uh, so he wants you to bring him an ice vest so that he can... Ha- uh, so that he isn't... B- because he says they killed his family with fire, but he wants an ice vest, which is also weak to fire, so he's prob- <laughs> he might just be dumb. But uh, <laughs> you-, you give him I- the... Sorry, go ahead. I could believe Jack Frost are dumb. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you give him the ice vest, and he actually, his model changes into the Frost Ace model, which is essentially like a tokusatsu hero version of a Jack Frost. It's pretty adorable. Uh, (laughs) And um, he gives, I forget what his material reward is, but it also gives you the ability to fuse a Frost Ace, which is a 
it's a cool demon. They have the ability to reflect uh, fire and ice, which are the two most common uh, damage spells. So, yeah, that's pretty helpful. Uh, after you get the ability to unlock doors, which I'm pretty sure we got at some point during Karina. Yeah, it was pretty early on. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can go back to Aunt Leah, because there's a really obvious locked door, like, directly out from the ship that you've probably been wanting to look at for the whole game. Uh, you go in there, the first thing you see is, uh, there's this giant green and black Tron pillar that, um, if you're in new, if you're not in New Game Plus, it just says it doesn't work. Do you guys, have you guys looked at that yet? No. Okay. I can look at it right now. I, I'm pretty Jesus sure the pillow. Right just, I'm pretty sure the pillow just says something about like you know it does. It doesn't appear to be active or something. Yeah, like that. it just says like this strange pillar is covered with uh, illegible or like with symbols you don't recognize. Yeah, yeah, and you're gonna spend the entire game wondering like, well, what the heck does that pillar do? Am I gonna have to go back to that at some point? Well, you are in New Game Plus because then it actually works. And what it is is it's the thing. It's the thing that takes you to the boss rush mode. Uh, which just lets you fight all the sector bosses and some of the major story bosses, and then a uh, and then I think the demiurge is the last one at the end. It won't let you progress if you don't beat the bosses fast enough, but it does help. It does let you power grind because your main character is going to be like way under leveled the demons you're summoning, so that's kind of helpful. So, so I don't um, the demiurge like you could do. You, is that the way you fight him? Is that the only way to fight him? Yes. I don't know about that that guy yet. I, I think that's the only way to... I mean, I could be wrong on this one, because I haven't actually beaten the boss rush yet, but I'm pretty sure fight... I'm pretty sure doing this is how you get to him. I could be wrong. Okay, because my understanding is he was a pretty... He's a pretty major side player in this game. Uh, I, I mean, I think... There might be some story in there, but again, like, when, when we beat the game, I'll try to have, like, leveled up enough to beat the Demiurge and resolve this for everybody so you can know what happened. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I haven't beaten through the whole boss rush yet, so I just know, like, uh, it's a good way to power level, and that's what this thing's here for. But All right. in New Game, you're not going to be able to interact with that, so you're going to have to go, if you go walk past it, you can go around a little corner and you meet the uh, Pixie from the beginning of the game, who is now, like, Pokemon evolved into a High Pixie. And, uh... Says that she wants to create a land where the fairies can live, and you know, not. I, I guess fairies are more peaceful than other demons and just want to chill or something. But um, well, they are low level. Yeah, <laughs> she basically gives you a series of side quests to bring her most of the demons in the fairy race. Uh, the first one she asks for is, I think, goblin. Um, I forget what all of them are. She asks for I, at the end of the chain. She asks you to bring her Titania and Oberon. Is like the the last two. Oh boy, uh, are they hard to get in this game? I assume yes. I mean, they're not super. I, I'm pretty sure you run into at least. I think you run into both of them as wild as like wild demons later on. Oh, just later on. Yeah, yeah okay, you can just recruit them that way. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of a cute little side quest to have like a character who's been there the whole time. Uh, there's also another weird thing in Sector Antlia where there's a guy who's trying to. Uh, like, Arthur issued a mission to uh, salvage anything that people could from the blue jet, because I guess everyone had just forgot to do that up until this point. So there's got uh, you run into a guy on the strike team who's like, hey, we're going to go to the blue jets. 
please help us because you're way you're you're a way higher level than the rest of us. So you know, power level us through the zone or whatever. You go over there and fight. Um, a, I think Lorelai is the demon with the. Uh, it's like the blue water nymph with the harp. It's kind of like a minor extra boss over there that you. You run through that one. It's not really super relevant or interesting. It's just, you know, the guy thanks you for helping him. And that's the end of that one. Yep. Oh, I think that's the only one I did. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the more boring ones, honestly. I did a quick search, and apparently you can fight the Demiurge without doing New Game Plus. Uh, It's just, he's basically the true boss of the game. It's it's a final EX mission, and it's apparently a pain in the ass to actually uh, do that mission. Huh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Well, I'm going to try and explore all that stuff before in, before we do the next two episodes, so I will do my best to give a full report on that one. Cool. Uh, let's see. Other than that, uh, there's also a cute little quest in, uh, like in one of the locked rooms in, in Boots where uh, Dionysus is just standing there. Uh, Dionysus <laughs> is actually one of my favorite demon designs in the Shin Megami Tensei franchise. He's, it's like a guy, he's like covered... I don't. He looks like an abstract painting turned into a guy with like, uh, like a nice robe on. Basically, it's it's pretty neat. <laughs> I'm not sure how to describe him exactly, but he, he's like gold with paint splotches all over him. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. Uh, he basically he wants to taste uh, extreme wines because that's that's like his favorite thing to do. So he wants you to get a uh, the feathers of the of the Gen Demon, which is on the the D sector. Uh, yes, he's like, yeah, I know they're poisonous, but I'm a god. It's not like it's going to kill me or anything. So you know, just to go grab that for me. <laughs> oh, my my favorite thing about this whole area is that it opens up with like an edutainment style, like multiple choice question. It's like, hello, I'm Dionysus. Do you know what I'm the god of? Am I A, the god of water, B, the god of wine, or C, the god of, I don't remember what C was, but I just love that. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what happens if you get that question wrong. That's a good, you just fail your midterms. It's okay. It just means that you, <laughs> you don't get that, uh, you don't get that anthropology credit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, there's all after you beat Karina, you place a uh, place a uh, place a uh, place uh, you ran in. Whoa, am I still there? Yeah. Hello? Yep. Okay. I think I I clicked something wrong or something messed up for a minute there. But okay, so after you beat Karina, you can go back in, and there's a dwarf in the first place you ran into, Mastema, who um, he's basically like an equipment upgrade guy. Like he he wants to forge new weapons, and if you bring him equipment, he'll make higher quality weapons than the tier you generally have accessible to right at that moment. So that's kind of nice. Um, uh, Dent keeps asking you to, he asks you to play games with him like a couple times. One's like this weird number adding game, but that that's, that's stupid. They're dumb quests. I could not figure it out. <laughs> Fuck that game. <laughs> so the weird thing about that game is that you can basically lose it like two or three turns in. And it's basically the, the way, the way I beat it was, it was a matter of like, Okay, what is the last safe number to where like he can't actually say something that will make me think that, that will make me give a wrong answer that adds up to the basically you have to each one of you adds a number uh, between one and three and then whoever adds up to twenty five I think it is whoever counts to twenty five loses and so it's all about starting from twenty four and going back and like okay what is the last safe number that I can get to to force him to count to twenty five and it's 
It was interesting. It wasn't especially like relevant to the rest of the game or relevant yeah, to anything like, you do in it. <laughs> it's really funny if that's like this game's version of the uh, side card game in FF8. <laughs> <laughs> you unlocked 13. See, I, I like that card game in FF8 because there was like a collection element to it. And I am, as some people know, I'm a sucker for games where you collect cards that are more powerful and have characters from popular animes but um <laughs> yeah th- th- this is this is straight up just a uh, hey there's a very specific number that you cannot let him count to and if he counts to that number you've lost it's it's kind it seems like a game and then once once i realized how it worked it was like oh this isn't a game this is like if you were betting money a way you would trick people out of money <laughs> yeah yeah this is I think it's the new guy. Uh, so basically you're trying to count 20 you're trying to count 29 and Dent yeah. is very fucking good at counting 29. So <laughs> you have to, like, come up with some algorithm to beat him at it. Uh, okay, let's see. Um, how many others we got here? Anything else super interesting? Uh, so I've never actually done this set of side quests, but uh, one thing I always loved about how uh, back in uh, Delphinus, or yeah, a little bit later on in the next sector we're going to uh, visit... There is a vampire and a vampire hunter, uh, respectively named uh, Koldak and Kresnik, and each one is looking for a weapon to... uh, So, the vampire hunter Kresnik is looking for a weapon to kill the vampire lord uh, Koldak, and Koldak is looking for a weapon to make Kresnik suffer eternally. Yeah, (laughs) because Kresnik is like an immortal vampire hunter, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was curious, how does this end up? Um, basically, I think, okay, I've only ever done both quests because of my horrible side quest compulsion, so I've never just done one and seen what happens, but if you give them both their weapon, uh, what, the, the vampire hunter guy gives you a law adjustment and a, like, a minor reward, and the vampire gives you a chaos adjustment and a minor reward, and if you give them both their thing, you can, there's a, a room you can walk in later on that you'll see them both fighting and they'll it'll give you like a little bit of a dramatic description of how that's going and then they uh I think Kudlak runs away before Kresnik can deal the final blow or something so it's like an a you know eternal struggle thing or whatever huh it's kind of funny but you know n- nothing super interesting okay i think the last one side quest i want to hit is probably my favorite it's the series of quests to help anthony get dunked on what? <laughs> okay, basically what this is is there's this guy called uh that Dent introduces you to a crew member named Anthony. Anthony's like, "Hey bro, how you doing?" Okay, look, I need you to help me with a problem. I met a demon chick and I really want to hook up with her. <laughs> and there's like a comedy pause there in the text parser where where the the HUD goes blank for a second so everyone can be like, "Oh my god, man." And then it and then it comes back up, and uh, basically what you have to do is you have to go talk to he he gives you descript like general descriptions of like female looking demons, and you have to go talk to them with the the talk command. Um, freaking, he get, he tells you to go talk to a Lilum. He tells you to go talk to uh, a Moshuvu. Uh, the Moshuvu one's weird because. Uh, they say that that demon looks youngish, and he he tries to be like, yeah, she's a demon. She's probably like thousands of years old. She's probably older than me. It's not weird. 
<laughs> you go talk to her, you go talk to her and she's like, no, this is weird. You're a weirdo. <laughs> and uh, basically every time you go talk to one of these demons, they're like, there's a human who's attracted to me? <laughs> and uh, tell you to go, and they, they say, please go tell him he sucks. So you do that. You go tell him he sucks. <laughs> and uh, then he he apparently doesn't learn his lesson. <laughs> And uh, he keeps sending you on these quests for a while. I haven't done the last one in the chain yet, so I'll save that for next episode. <laughs> but I think that's all of the major side quests in sectors C and D that uh, are interesting enough to mention. And a few that probably weren't interesting enough to mention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there are some interesting side quests in this game, but overall, like, they're, they're kind of... Most of them are not worth doing, because... In, in terms of story, very few of them give you a lot of like really good information about what's really going on. There are exceptions, definitely, especially later on, but um, they don't give you much new information. And if they give you a benefit, it's usually so fleeting because you advance pretty quick in this game. Mm-hmm. It's pretty minor. Mm-hmm. I, I will propose that maybe it's uh, they're included as like to give you a thing to do while you are doing grinding that you otherwise kind of need to do. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the side quests. Like, if we weren't doing this for the show for a deadline, I, w- I would be taking my time and luxuriating in a lot more of them just just to like make this game last longer. Uh, but yeah, like they're not very essential. Back on your ship, uh, you've been given a new goal, and that's to get to the vanishing point, which is uh, kind of a point where uh, the real world and the Schwarzfeld meet. And the Graviton Radio has told you that this exists, but you have to defeat bosses to sort of open the plugs between sectors and travel back to uh, what remains of your world. So just, you know, in your downtime, uh, you're just shooting the shit with uh, your crewmates, and you tell uh, Jimenez about Luisa Ferre, um, and he seems really skeptical uh, that uh, there'd be some kind of uh, spectral, potentially demonic woman that would uh, arrive. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's uh, summoning Bugaboo. What are you talking about? Yeah. Meanwhile, he's summoning Bugaboo to hang out and uh, training him on uh, teaching him how to speak again. And uh, Zelenin comes in and says, you know, stop summoning him inside the ship. It's against every rule. And they argue. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, Jimenez gets a little uh, little sad when he realizes what's going to happen with the demonica suit after the uh, mission ends. And um, it occurs to him that uh, maybe the UN isn't going to let you just take off with the suits that summon demons. And uh, they'll maybe take them away from you. So that's pretty much uh, all the subplot stuff that's going on. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Arthur uh, comes over, the loudspeaker, and uh, the ship is jumping to a new sector, Delphinus. And... Jimenez, uh, or um, Arthur, uh, delivers your orders, which are to find the Rosetta Demon for this area, bring it back, and um, 
Jimenez starts giving the AI a little bit of attitude and says, uh, what do you want us to do when we find the Rosetta de- Demon? Bring it home? Introduce it to family? And Arthur says, so long as it recovers Rosetta, the methods used are up to your discretion. This is this is kind of starting a trend of like – Arthur has always seemed like potentially insidious. Like the fact that this AI is controlling your expedition was kind of weird. But this sector is where he starts to get like genuinely terrifying. There is a reason why I picked Arthur as my avatar on the Slack. <laughs> I, I think he uh, like uh, he like as soon as he was introduced, I was like, oh man, this robot's like the people aren't realizing how weird this robot is yet, but they're going to re- realize it eventually. Mm-hmm. So uh, you get interrupted by emergency call from sick bay. And uh, remember commander Gore? Well, his body is now missing. And a uh, crew member uh, helpfully remarks, uh, maybe it came back to life because nobody <laughs> knows how Commander Gore's body is gone. I missing. like how other people are speculating that the dead are just coming back to life now. But when you tell Jimenez about a weird person you met, he's like, I don't know, man. That's <laughs> a little weird. It's a little out there, man. Like, what, what exactly like, that's really great. for mystical stuff we're going to accept? Yeah, the, yeah, the, the dead are... The dead are walking and my diaper-wearing demon, fine. But you talked to a girl and I didn't know about it? <laughs> nah. Yeah, the discrimination between what's believable or not believable in this world is real muddy. Yeah. So now you enter the new area, which is uh, Delphinus. What would be the uh, ultimate contrast between the uh, Walmart world that you were just in would it be possibly a giant garbage dump that looks like, you know, the giant, you know, trash pile that's, uh, you know, piling up in the middle of the uh, Pacific Ocean or whatever? Bonus question. That- what is super <laughs> visually uninteresting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it giant piles of garbage? It is. <laughs> I knew it. And also, if you haven't noticed by this point – um. Perhaps all of these areas are following one of the seven deadly sins. And this might be the area representing greed. So review with me. So Sector A was um, Raph. was Wrath. Sector B was Lust, right? Mm-hmm. So Sector B, Sector C is Gluttony, Gluttony, and this is Greed. So now I ain't no hoity-toity uh, Christian, so what are the other three seven deadly sins? Uh, envy... Uh, the last one's pride. Okay, I'm missing one. Yeah, I, I, see, I, I was I was raised in like a really kind of. We actually might have a bonus episode about this at some point, uh, where wherein I describe my upbringing to a very nice Japanese woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was raised in a church that believed that I don't believe this now. Just totally clear, but believe that Catholicism was literal devil worshippers, and oh, yeah, we were I, not. I we we were very much not taught about the seven deadly sins. Uh, the last one, sloth. So, sloth. Sloth. Okay. See, I was I was raised Methodist, and we just didn't like none of this this weird apocryphal like Lucifer uh, angel hierarchy stuff. Like we didn't do any of that stuff. So we didn't have seven deadly sins. Everyone. Catholicism is cooler than other Christianity. Is the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, no, we no. do have more gods, so mm-hmm. uh, we we didn't get we yeah. didn't get seven deadly sins. We got lectures about how um I actually remember this because this is the weirdest Sunday school lesson I ever had. But it was about how Pokemon is 
tricking kids into inviting demons into their hearts because weeping bell (laughs) is actually a demonic signal because you are weeping for the dead god Baal. And Weeping Bell, the Pokemon, (laughs) invites the god Bale into your heart. For us, it was uh, the fact that it was introducing the totally false, unprovable scientific theory of evolution into children at a Forget evolution by natural selection. Evolution by Thunderstone is the rule. That... <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. that, Evan, have you ever thought about writing your old Sunday school teacher and telling, like, look where I am now? Um, no, because my old Sunday school teacher was an incredibly rich ex-Microsoft executive. So, like, there's nowhere I can get that will be higher than where he is now. <laughs> uh, I told, uh, one day I was telling my – we were having a conversation. And I told my wife, like, yeah, when I was in high school, we got uh, sex ed from uh, an, a minister who had no arms. He had, like, lost both of them in a thresher accident. And she started laughing. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that story's hilarious. And I had never <laughs> thought of it up until now. <laughs> My God. That's kind of that's, – that's hilarious and horrifying. So, right. hey, so it's, here to teach you it's really fitting. Oh, go ahead. Because you guys are not from Texas, I have to ask. When you, uh, when you took chemistry in uh, high school, did your teacher uh, openly question the validity of climate change? Uh, yeah. And when you uh, took biology in high school, did your teacher openly question the validity of evolution? Every day. Okay, I just did, making sure. I, did I, I, I went to high teacher. school in a very oh, conservative yeah. county. I do have a science <laughs> teacher in middle school who said that uh, all particles were made up of sound waves because uh, God constructed the universe with his voice. Ah, yes. That makes perfect sense. I, I, I kind of like that. I, I kind of love that. <laughs> it is kind of a neat idea, but, you know. I grew up in the Godless Bay Area, so I didn't get any of this. <laughs> nice. I'm, <laughs> I've, I've learned most of my theology through uh, Shin Megami Tensei. I, I promise these stories are covering up a lot of pain. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, uh, sorry for the diversions. Where were we? Uh, well, yeah, you're uh, you're entering this uh, giant trash and garbage and shit pile uh, called Delphinus. And as you enter, Jimenez says, "I feel like I can smell this place even even through the demonica." And uh, yeah, the first couple of levels, there's not a whole hell of a lot to do. Uh, once you get up to the second floor, uh, Zelen and radios you. Um. And uh, she's in hiding from nearby demons. And so you need to go find her and uh, save her from the demons because she still refuses to use the demons. Um, or at least to um, to use the demon fusion. Uh, um, this floor will introduce you to uh, something uh, that players of Entry and Odyssey might be familiar with, which are airport-style moving floors, which uh, will only take you in one direction. And we'll move you around the map uh, completely out of your control. Um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't get too difficult until later on uh, in this dungeon. The first couple of uh, levels that have the elevator floors are pretty straightforward and simple. But uh, I don't know. You think this is going to come and bite us in the ass later? Yeah, Possibly. We, get to the we will see. floors. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so the crewmen, uh, you start coming across these crewmen who are, uh, acting really weird. Um, 
And they are saying that they want to, like, kill other people on the ship, and you don't really get a lot of, like, context or information for it. And so when you get up to the area that Zlenin is in on the second floor, uh, you rescue her from a couple of demons, and it's pretty simple. And she's wondering why you can't, you still can't detect a Rosetta in this sector. And so she says that you should follow her up the nearby stairs to the third floor. Um, and once you head up there, there's uh, two parallel rooms. And she says that perhaps uh, even though one demonica can't find it, uh, maybe both of you using as, acting as antenna across the sector from one another can f- actually identify a signal that's too weak. So you're basically doing uh, triangulation, but it's more like duangulation because there's no third uh, third uh, s- signal that you're using. The experiment fails, and when you meet back up with her, um, you find that she tells she tells you that you got the rare form of the passage jewel, and uh, that she had found that. And is this what opens up uh, a lot of the doors that were previously closed off to you? Uh, yeah, th- there, there was another one we got at the end of the last sector. I think we got two of them at the end of the last mm-hmm. sector. Uh, but this one opens up most of the rest so far. Because since Bo- uh, Buotis, you've been finding these doors that you can't open. Um, which definitely caused me some heartache back in Buotis when I was like being like, Am I missing an item? What is what is going on? Why can't I find the boss of this level, <laughs> this area? Um, well, you can't get it until you know a good like ten ten hours later in the game. It turns out. Also, there on the third floor, uh, you uh, stumble across Bugaboo, and you follow him. And as you follow him, you come across Jimenez, and Jimenez is spouting crazy paranoid nonsense and pointing his gun at you. Um, there's a cutscene, it jumps to a battle, and, like, Jimenez takes, like, maybe one shot at you, and then he comes around and he says, uh, that he's a danger to all of you, and he tells you to run. So, you get a, uh, call from Arthur, who makes an emergency transmission to all the demonicas in the field. He says that uh, there's aggression on the rise in various crewmen for no discernible reason and tells all crew members who are still sane to return to the ship. And once you get back to uh, the ship, Arthur starts taking stock of the situation. Turns out that 10% of the crew is affected. And uh, by using the on-suit cameras, you can see the horrible side of various crew um, turning on and killing one another. And Arthur uh, suggests that maybe this is happening as the effect of a mental parasite. He explains that there's already a countermeasure on the ship, a device that nobody was aware of, which is packed packed in storage, called the MK gun, which is basically a mind control gun. Um, So even though some people are asking why there might be a mind control gun (laughs) on the ship, uh, Arthur says, oh, you know, don't pay attention to that. No, no, nothing to pay attention to here. Um, What we need to do is uh, move on from here. We need to tune this gun for the parasite. So you need to go back to uh, Delphinus and find a sample. Or you need to go back into the field and find a sample before you can actually uh, use the gun on people. Yeah, Arthur's like, 
we weren't going to use it on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is getting back into the whole thing of like Arthur being super sinister. Is that he, he starts at no point does he ever seem like crazy, which makes some of this a lot worse. It's like, oh no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going crazy. I'm not breaking any rules. I'm not losing control. I was, I was meant to be able to control your minds if I needed to. He's perfectly That's- neutral. He only cares about the mission. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, back in Boote's, uh if you uh, head back there, you start poking around. Uh, there are some doors that got opened up at the end of uh, the previous sector, Sector C, but um, nothing too interesting. Uh, some of the side quest stuff we talked about, uh, but the real meat here is unlocked by the new former that you just got in the in the Delfina, and. Uh, yeah, you can uh, – as soon as you start off in the sector, uh, Mastima shows up and he says like, hey, you and your comrades, like I can see that you have the karma to change your comrades' fate and uh, basically implying that you alone have the ability to choose the fate of the mission, uh, that you're kind of a special person and that he sees something in you, which you know he might say to everybody because he seems like the kind of manipulative shit that would do that. Eh, you look main character-ish. <laughs> I mean, you. To be fair, like your your character, it has the least amount of personality in just his design out of anybody in this game. So like, it could I could I could go either way. He could be main character, or he could just be like crewman number twenty five that dies to Mithra. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, or uh, Mithra. But yeah, so he he kind of chastises you a little bit for relying on technology and demons rather than God. Uh, if you aren't super law and order. And uh, he gives you another one of those alignment questions, uh, which I, I kind of appreciate how on its nose this game was about what your choices are. Because the first time I was playing through this, I wasn't used to the, to the SMT style alignment system. So in some games, the the chaotic and the neutral and the lawful cho- or the order choice, they, they don't map very cleanly like good, evil, and in between. They're, they're very fluid they're very much about like chaos versus order but chaos and order don't mean good and bad uh i didn't necessarily appreciate this the first time i played through this so it's definitely nice that like they're very clear like hey do you like god do you like the devil or do you like man <laughs> but um yeah so uh he dro- you get a couple of clues about like where this uh trinket you're looking for might be uh mastima mentions that uh mitra uh the boss you had previously beaten in boites uh, he had trade with the blasted lands that you just came from. So uh, after some poking around, you find a secret door on the top floor of his tower of the Fuck Palace, uh, back where you had previously defeated him. And you find a room full of what Zelenin called treasure, but it looks like a bunch of dead corpses and medical technology. <laughs> but uh, somewhere deeper than the room... definition of treasure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It actually looks exactly like the room that she was horrified by uh, back when you first right. rescued her. It looks like they might not have drawn a new background when they meant to. <laughs> <laughs> might be. Uh, but you, you get the Madman Stone, a crystallized object that uh, had previously fallen out of Norris. Uh, Norris was that guy that was in the cell with you that was being experimented on that went mad and purple and tried to kill you. And this is the thing that fell out of him that the humans were so excited by. Uh, the inscription says, uh, To success in crystallizing human madness, alongside His Excellency Ashura, my sworn ally. Sincerely, Mitra, semicolon, plot dump. Uh, Hearts. Yeah. Uh, so that basically it says, like, oh, yeah, the reason your crew is going crazy is because Mitra and and uh, 
Asura, the lord of the next area of Delphina, were working together to develop a way to make humans go crazy. Uh, so once you get back to your lab, uh, your crew starts to work. Uh, Zelenin starts to go back and forth with your tech guys about the implications of the gun control, of the mind control gun, and people start bringing up like, "Hey, if if Arthur really wanted to, he could use this gun to turn us into literal like human robots. He could make us totally mindless and do whatever he ordered us to." Uh, which is again like adding to the whole like sense of sense of just ominous danger with uh not, not ominous danger. What am I thinking of? There's like a mundane terror to Arthur that I really appreciate. Yeah, like he's always calm, mm-hmm. he's always collected, he's always sensible, but he's sensible in the way that like a steamroller is sensible. It's sensible for a steamroller to keep going and not stop because there's a little person in the way because it's not going to because you know the steamroller will finish faster if it doesn't stop. And you being in the way won't slow down the steamroller, so it's sensible to keep going. Like that, that That's kind of how Arthur is in my mind. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so with the uh, MK gun in tow, uh, you are now set out to shoot all of your teammates with this mind control gun to cure them of whatever this weird mental parasite is. Uh, your main priority is uh, Jimenez, but if you explore the map a little bit first, you can get some rad items from all the other crazy people all around the uh, area. Um. Uh, can we just uh, fill out our uh, 80s sci-fi horror uh, check card uh, <laughs> check cards here? Oh, yeah. Um, so we've got Alien. We've got uh, They Live, and now with the uh, crazy brain parasites, you got uh, the thing. <laughs> Is there any other ones that I'm missing so far? <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of in the mouth of badness in some of this stuff. I think that's 90s. Yeah, but that's just a John Carpenter, Lovecraft, common influence kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, sorry. Just fuck me. Sorry. Just erase that comment because... <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought you were referring to the fact that the the Mountains of Madness is commonly thought to be an inspiration for the thing. Oh, no. Uh, so I was talking about uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which is uh, a much... Different movie from the mountains. Oh, so you are talking about the John Carpenter I, in the mouth of with, with the author and the and the detective. Okay, yeah. I don't know this one. Oh, uh, Chris, the, you should totally yeah. watch this movie. <laughs> it is one of my favorite movies, and I realized as soon as I said it. Actually, that's not very similar to this at all. <laughs> it just involves people going crazy. Uh, but oh, yeah, it is one of my favorite movies. I will have to put it on. Yeah, the list. I actually recommend that for anybody who has any interest in the following things: metafiction, Stephen King, horror movies. So if any of those three things or, work for you, I do or like if, thing, if you like if you like Sam Neill, it's also good. Yeah, for if, that. You, if you're a hardcore Sam Neill fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, but basically, um, once you head back to the third floor, uh, Bugaboo is still printing Jimenez. All he sees is that you're pointing a gun at him, and he basically like he he he's kind of an animal. Like Bugaboo doesn't know what the MK gun is. He doesn't know what it does. He just knows you're pointing a gun at his best friend. So he tries to block the bullet. Uh, it passes through both of them. I don't think it has any effects on Bugaboo, at least none that you can notice now. But uh, it cures Jimenez, and he is very grateful to both of you. But more importantly, he's really grateful for Bugaboo, who just hung by him and made sure he didn't get hurt, which is pretty sweet. And then you are back to the Red Sprite, where um, you get a couple cutscenes that don't really amount to much. And then Arthur says, you need to go back out and find the Rosetta. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, so we're going to go out and... Um... We gotta kill all these fucking virus dudes. 
Um, the next time you reach floor two and Zelenin uh, and you will find a Rosetta reading that has suddenly appeared in the room you rescued her from earlier. Visiting the spot will reveal some kind of weird hive web that has spawned in the area and some floating cells orb things. When you, f- you fight them, um, they speak weird in this like sort of alien, not quite English tongue with a lot of, uh, big word exclamations and a lot of ellipses. Um, and uh, you, you, it's a minor boss. Um, they have weaknesses. Even if you defeat them, it won't fill out the chart, though. It's kind of... You're, you're going to end up fighting, like, a set of two of these, what, five times? It's a bunch of It's times. a bunch of times. Um, so uh, you fight it however many times, and each single time it's going to have a different set of weaknesses. And even if you're fighting two of them... Like, they're not both going to be weak to fire, they're not both going to be weak to ice, etc., etc. Which is why you should just cast Mejidola and not worry about it. Oh, sure. <laughs> if only I had Mejidola. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, you kill him, um, the Rosetta reading is gone, um, signal's gone, you go back to author, he's like, go do it again! And you keep doing it, keep finding more, you find two more on the next floor... And then you run into Commander Gore. He is wearing a um, a tuxedo. So we, I have a theory on this tuxedo. Hear me out, guys. Is the theory that it's awesome? They have an emergency tuxedo stash, one for each member of the crew, so that if they were to die, they can be given a proper Christian burial. Well, the UN did tell you that you had everything that you needed to uh, complete your mission on the ship. Like, what other possibilities uh, exist here? I, I mean, I, I think he—I think it's a magical tuxedo. I'm assuming you didn't bring it with you. <laughs> but I, I really love Gore showing up in the tux, just because it stands out so much aesthetically against everything else you've seen so far. It, it's really eye-grabbing. So uh, let's just give you the, the dialogue here verbatim. Uh, he said he he calls you out by name. He says, "This body is telling me that. Who are you? Are you speaking to the one who inhabited this body? He is dead. No, reborn. Yes, reborn. I have become all. My consciousness is one with the planets. I have become the one who decides the fate of mankind. If you had the proper spirit, you would be able to feel the human karma that permeates this land, joy and slaughter, addiction to desire." Infinite consumption, an excretion beyond salvation. A destiny of destruction is in mankind's character. Don't you want to revert the tide? Do you not want to release the earth from arrogant human rule and restore its true character? Won't you end man's rule on earth? And then your choices are, I will, I can't let that happen, uh, and I can't. So cool. Uh, You pick your choice. It's pretty obvious which one exists for which route. And then um, a fake battle event happens. So uh, what do you guys mean by depending on what you say? Uh, so I'm not sure if he does this for every alignment choice because uh, you have a different set of options depending on what you choose. Uh, if you tell him that you aren't going to go along with uh, his original plan, if, if you're saying you're not going to end man's rule on Earth, he won't ask you about the invasion. He'll just like act like he's going to attack you. Huh. Well, I guess I should have paid more attention to what he said when I clicked I will because I don't remember. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. basically if you give him a neutral response, he doesn't fight you. 
I think is the idea. But only if you give like so basically if only you give a law response because I don't remember a fake battle event happening here. I don't remember a fake uh, or a fake battle. Okay, I, mean, I had law. Yeah, for, yeah. For me, when I told him uh, I can't let that happen, uh, you then like he, you get the battle music, the battle screen like shows up, and then he says, then he stops for a second and he says, "The mother is telling me to kill you." Oh, oh, oh! But I don't. I don't think it's time for that. I, I don't think you need to be killed. You know, it's the mother and him talking about how there's like all the humans are wrecking the earth. I'm just Gore is giving you the intro speech from every episode of Captain Planet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean he does straight up say like you no longer stand the destruction plaguing our planet. So she sends five magic rings. Okay, I'm not going to do the whole thing. He, he does straight up say he has been reborn as that he was reborn as the will of Planet Earth. So that, that makes sense. Okay, now I'm remembering the fake battle event. It's literally just that one screen. It just flashes mm-hmm. like you're about yeah. to enter a battle. Okay, I remember that now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So you're now free to take on the other two spirits on this, the other two cell spirits on the floor. Gore just sort of absconds. Um, he uh, rides away on a comet, I guess. Um <laughs> Yeah, Gore doesn't seem super meaningful when he first shows up here, but um, if you're going neutral, he's going to be a much more relevant character. Oh, okay, so uh, you go and fight two more of the orb guys. Lennon tries to shoot at one of them with the MK gun, and uh, that's when you find out that the MK gun doesn't work on just the spirits. They have to be inside the human bodies. So uh, you go up some more floors, you fight another, you get some dialogue. Oh, man. I don't remember any of this being all that noteworthy, to be honest. Like, no, seriously, is any, like is there actually any moment of – like, I like it as – like, structurally, like, the idea of going and fighting all these individual pieces of the parasite to slowly narrow down where the actual parasite no. is. But I don't actually remember any of the individual battles – uh, having anything all that interesting to do or say. Oh, I mean, yeah, you do the same thing like a bunch of times. It's not, it's more about exploring this dungeon than it is about actually fighting these things. Uh, so you can find a rare form of the case, Kaisetsu stone with a rare form that turns into the visualizer. So this is an exploration upgrade. I don't have as many kind things to say about this basically just turns dark rooms, into visualized rooms. They still don't appear on your mini-map. So all that means is you have to look at the top screen and kind of, I guess, map it out with by hand. Uh, or just memorize it. Or memorize it. it. Yeah, all you see is this very, very limited um, 80s-style wireframe yeah. that is... It's, it's almost... It's difficult to actually even tell like which directions you can move in because the uh, graphics are so <laughs> yeah, primitive. Yeah, it looks like that Atari tank game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it does kind of help with memorizing these because otherwise you just kind of have to remember the directions. This gives you like another mental cue, which is kind of helpful. Yeah, it, it's mostly useful for telling which way the like automated floor tiles are moving, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah, there are invisible automated floors that this lets you not just blindly step onto. I guess it was I, it was easier for me to navigate. I don't know, but it, I didn't like it. I don't like the the idea of including dark rooms and then nullifying them within such a short distance of each other. Yeah, it's definitely weird. Like, I just, uh, if why include it if you're just going to say, you know what, maybe, uh, you, uh, don't, don't you want to feel good about not having to do this now? I don't know. 
I think this might have been later in the game, and then they realized that mixing dark rooms and automatic floors was way too hard to deal with if you couldn't, if you didn't have the visual. Like, okay, if this is just a fix because they designed a shitty dungeon floor, I guess that's okay. Because, man, this floor uh, yeah. is not nice. I think it's, yeah, it's 5F. Yeah, this one's real. It's real. Four, four and five, we can kind of group together because there are holes that lead from one to the other. Um, but, but yeah, basically we got a bunch of like moving invisible floor tiles and, uh, it, it, this is the first real maze. Like there's very easy, many places where you can just take a wrong step and kind of fucking your entire progress over and have to start again from the beginning of the floor. Uh, I used a map. I didn't want to deal with it. Uh, are you going to give, uh, the fifth floor your, uh, your, uh, Highly coveted. Uh, Didn't award. I already award it for this game? I, 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 think, I think the fifth, the fifth floor in my memory is probably the most frustrating part of this entire game. That's what people are saying. That's what Sark said too. I, I mean, I don't know if it's it's not that it's annoying, but it's not like the. Oh worst no! It's it, saying it's the worst part of this game is like. I, I have to keep that. I, I guess I, I should contextualize that by saying like. All in all, this is still, like, one of my ten favorite video games of all time. Like, I love Strange Journey. There's no part of this that I hate. Uh, like, Mugabe Tensei 1 and 2, like, there are parts that I absolutely despised, even though I enjoyed them on the whole. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei, I, it was irritating, but I still enjoyed it. Uh, this is just a delight. Like, this is the most frustrating <laughs> part of an otherwise excellent, awesome It's game. like when you open a bag of Starburst and there's just, like, a few more orange ones than you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I guess for me, it's like uh, I like Delphinus Five is the only floor I've run into so far that I didn't like cruise through easily. So far, it like actually took some thought, but every every it's the only time that's really happened so far. And, and the nice thing about this is, uh, unlike some of those dungeons toward the end of like Magame Tensei One and Two, where they were just a nightmare to play through, like if if you pull up a map. Floor five probably takes like ten minutes. Yep. Tops. isn't it great? Maybe less. <laughs> probably probably faster yeah, than that true. if you know exactly where to step. Yeah, it's annoying and it's it can be frustrating, but it's a type of frustration that is very easily opted out of. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we have the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the game came out in two thousand eight. So yeah, there was always internet always when this game was around. To be fair. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so after this really annoying floor, uh, you get up to get up to six. Uh, these are actually pretty simple. You get a switch puzzle. Who said that joke in the Slack? Because it's really good. Oh, that was me. It was like basically once I got up to floor six and I saw a switch puzzle and I saw that it clearly started saying what direction the switch uh, made the moving walkways go in. I was like. You know, this is probably the first time I've ever come across a Switch, Switch puzzle in a video game and been like, well, thank God for that. <laughs> this is better than what came before. Uh, yeah, and 7 and 8, uh, they contain more uh, Rosetta encounters. You kill them, the spirits, you know, go away. And then finally you end up on Floor 8. Um, and uh, in Floor 8, you get a save point, you get a healing point. And then there's a, a door where um, – oh, wait, sorry. No, that, that's not that, that's not in floor eight. That's not in floor four, isn't it? Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Cause you, so you find a statue when you've been exploring this entire time. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically once all the, uh, the, uh, the 
energy guys go away, you know that they've all retreated and are like can coalescing their power. So you got to go find where that is. And it's where that statue was on floor four. Um, so you go there, save point, healing point, and then you fight the boss. So this is a Sura, right? Uh, there's a giant, yeah. there's a mm-hmm. giant cutscene first. Uh, he's, uh, uh, can someone else kind of like summarize this cutscene? Cause like it, it became oh, yeah. noise to me after a while. So if you've played Metal Gear Rising, it's kind of the same cutscene as the <laughs> senator at the end of that game gives you, which is mankind used to be noble. Your spirit used to be beautiful back in the stone age, back when man was young, you fought the strong dominated the weak and the weak died. <laughs> and humanity, once, once humanity developed civilization, your spirit stopped being beautiful. The weak rose to power, blah, 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 blah. Um, he stopped short of doing the thing that <laughs> he stopped short of doing the thing. That the Senator in Metal Gear Rising says, which is like actually says, like, I'm going to make America great again. <laughs> but he does kind of say, like, I'm going to make the human spirit beautiful. again. Yeah, uh, that's a good that's a good point. Evan. His whole spiel is that civilization allows the weak to have a role in society, which makes society ugly, yeah. which makes men ugly. Yeah, I got to this point and um I, I've been doing neutral, but I had dipped a little bit into law by this point. Like, my alignment was blue. So I'm here, sitting here, listening to the guy spout this stupid Randian bullshit about how people need to kill each other, appropriate for the green sector. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, don't you think that, don't you think that people killing each other to have stuff is awesome? That makes people better, doesn't it? And I'm like, I, yes, until- I need to be neutral again, fuck. Until you said that it was Randian, it did not occur to me that like the entire time I was I was seeing this, I was like, wait, this is the first boss that makes no sense given the theme of their floor. Like, wh- why is he upset? Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. He, it's not necessarily just about greed; it's about like Randian greed. Okay, yeah, I, I was thinking like this boss makes more sense as like wrath or pride or like maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that I get it. Now, he he does feel like wrath themed, but then when I like heard him talk like that, I was like, "Oh my freaking god!" <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <sighs> and the fact that I had to agree with him is the worst. <laughs> I definitely know what it's like to have to like. Okay, my boss is saying some really insane, terrible shit. I'm just <laughs> going to nod my head because I need a good eval at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really weird feeling for a Shimagami. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all I want to do is meet Satan. I'm going to nod with you about Ayn Rand, but when I meet Satan, I'm going to tell him about all the shit you said. <laughs> okay, well, I, I think the, the last reveal here, then, is that I'm the only one who's beaten this boss, right? Look, look um, man. Technically, te- technically, I have beaten this boss, but I beat this boss about, like, seven years ago. <laughs> Look, look, let's break this down here. So this asshole has this fear move, okay? And oh, so me, Evan, and Paul all got here around level 33, 34. And uh, one, he's level 38, so that's a big level discrepancy already, so that's not good. And then he's got this asshole fear move. And if everybody defends, everyone in your party defends, there's still a good chance that one of them's going to get feared. And it's almost Uh, berserked. Oh, okay. Well, Berserked. Uh, and uh, Berserk causes them to not only hit other members of your party, but to also lose health when they do it. Oh, and like it's double bad too because it makes their attack go up and their defense go mm-hmm. down. 
So they, mm-hmm. they, they hit harder and they take hits And then harder. he's got crazy powerful magics. Three of them uh, have – three times he's wiped out my party in one hit with that magic. Yeah. And with the uh, the way the RNG goes, uh, at least at the level I'm at, I mean, there are – and I don't know if the levels have any effect on it, but uh, – there have definitely been three or four cases uh, where he has preserved my entire uh, my entire team or three quarters of my team. Oh yeah. So yeah, sorry. And if the main go ahead, if the, if the main character gets preserved, that's that's always been like okay. I guess my game is going to end in three turns unless I get control of him soon. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to go away. I've never gotten it to go away just by happenstance. It, it has for me, but after about four yeah. turns. So, sorry, yeah. uh, the, SMT faithfuls, we will finish this next time. Yeah, yes. I, uh, <laughs> I have a level 91 Shiva. I, I just cast Jihad twice and the, the fight ended. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I have a really good plan for beating him. Like, I, I have a I have a demon that can uh, debuff two stacks of uh, defense down in one cast, the uh, Acid Breath spell. I have demons that can lower attack, that can raise our defense real high, so like I was able to buff enough to where I could survive a lot of hits, but I think I'm just way too low level to be able to take this guy on right now. I might recommend bringing in uh, Black Frost and Frost Ace, too, since they're immune to fire, which he does a lot of fire damage to. Oh, yeah. I'm doing a neutral playthrough, so yeah, Black Frost has been with me uh, since the end of the last sector. Yeah, I think my options are a little more limited on my Chaos run. Yeah. If you do the the side quest that takes you back to the blue... uh, Farrier, the blue sprite, um, you get that Lorelei demon, which I think is chaos. I'll, I'll figure something out. I've got some options, but I think I just need to gain a few more levels, do a fusion or two. Yeah, I think that's pretty much where I'm at too. I just we, I just literally yes, didn't have like, enough time. Yep, we ran, we ran out of time before we could lo- grind out. Yeah, we got levels. we got so close, and I, like it's literally just an extra two <laughs> hours of work we got to put in. So we'll get it soon and. Next time, uh, I assume we're just going to cover ENF. Yeah, unless we blow through the entire thing, which isn't likely because I think this game still has another like forty hours for all of us. In the yeah, yeah. I, I think one of them. I think Gruz. No, Zerg said Gruz is actually pretty short on new game. Huh? I don't know. Guess we'll find out. Yeah, uh, yeah. When when you get to sector E, they're going to be like, "This is the last sector," and then it's it's not. It's not the last sector. <laughs> There's a lot left after that. Because initially, when you think this, you're getting near the end of the game, and you're definitely you got a ways to go. Yep. But yeah, like f- four sectors in, and everything everything I've seen so far is just reaffirming all of my awesome positive memories. Like it's it's so good to have something that I realize like seven years isn't necessarily enough to have nostalgia for, but it was far enough back, and I knew so little about SMT back then that I didn't really have a good idea of what I was playing relative to the rest of the series. So it is so nice to just. Man, this game is so good. I'm having so much fun with it, and it's just as good as I remembered. Possibly even better, because I have the context of all these other games. Yeah, it's real, really, really <laughs> great stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, should yep. we close it out here? Yep. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks to uh, take on Sectors E and F. And um, you can rate and review us on uh, iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can also like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, all those kinds of things. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us again, Chris. Oh, no problem. 
And uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, it was wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. Um, you know, one time when I was in church, uh, I cursed accidentally, and the pastor pulled me aside, and uh, he made me rewrite Genesis by hand. And I said, "Well, that's that's not cool. Why would you do that to me?" And he looks me right in the eye and tells me, "Life he, life ho, <laughs> he ho, is not fair." <laughs>